Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're so excited to have you guys here. Um, my name's Alex Yankovich. And my name is Taylor Bradley. And you may notice I, <laughs> I don't sound like I'm a uh, muffled going through a bad connection in an underground tunnel anymore because upgrade, I went ahead and purchased myself a new microphone. So as we said in our first episode, thank you for bearing with us through all of our learning curves and technical difficulties. Alex, you have some <laughs> other big news for us. What's that? Yes, big news. Our podcast finally has a name, Booked and Stressed, yeah. which really just rolls off the tongue. So I'm very excited about, about it. Um, T. Brad, do you want to explain a little bit why we chose this title? Totally. Booked and Stressed, um, it basically describes our lives, right? It's like as a dancer, um, you know, there was for a while that hashtag trending um, a little bit ago called Booked and Blessed. And you know, kind of poking fun at the fact of, of artists that will book things and say hashtag blessed, which basically just nullifies any sort of like brag that they're like, here's my whole career, hashtag blessed, which yes, we are all blessed. We're not trying to undermine that. However, we thought we'd take a little spin on that um, and put our own uh, pizzazz in that of being by we are booked and anyone that has been booked for work or done jobs know that you get so excited once you're booked, but then instantly follows the stress. But um, that's the joy of this industry. And that's why we love what we do. The stress of learning choreography, of deadlines, of contacting your manager or your agent. And um, so know that we mean it in an absolutely fun, uplifting, joking manner that uh, we hope that all of our friends can be both booked and stressed in the best way possible. Absolutely. This is all just to bring a smile to everyone's faces. You guys should be able to listen to this and enjoy the content and not be stressed about it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Booked and stressed. Our job is to hopefully make you not stressed. But yeah. <laughs> um, a further description of kind of uh, beyond our title. I know I've mentioned this in our first episode, but we really do want this to be a conversation um, and an informative conversation between all artists from every aspect of the entertainment industry. So if you're listening and you have any thoughts, if you have any questions, um, if you just wanna say hello, or maybe you have an idea for an episode theme, please feel free to reach out to us at our email. That is bookedandstressedpodcast at gmail.com. One more time, that's booked, the word and stressed podcast at gmail.com so yay happy birthday our podcast has a name all right stressors it's time for our call to action this week we are bringing awareness to an amazing national organization called the trevor project the trevor project is the leader in crisis and suicide prevention services to gay lesbian bisexual transgender and questioning young people under the age of 25 this organization provides an education program with resources for youth serving adults and organizations and also conducts research to discover the most effective ways to prevent suicide and crisis in the young LGBTQ community. To donate, you can visit www.thetrevorproject.com or if you know of someone who may be in need of a crisis counselor, they can contact the Trevor hotline. We will have these links and phone numbers posted below for your access at any time. You are in for a treat uh, because next up we're going to have a little bit of fun. Myself and Alex. Here's the deal. I have a little dance history related 
uh, fun fact trivia game that Alex has no idea what I'm about to do. So no, I am seriously so nervous. So nervous. Yeah, you should be stressed. No, you shouldn't. Um, Alex and I are both fun fact backstory. We're both musical theater nerds. Our first piece that we danced together in in college was a Chicago suite set by Anne Ranking and the fabulous Gary Chris. So super fun, and that was again when we were freshmen. So like I just recently watched that video, and I'm like damn this dance is so good right i look back at <laughs> really i'm like can it. i still do that also remember when that was a decade ago oh my god that's definitely what ignited my love and passion for musical <laughs> theater and i think uh, the same goes for alex but anyways enough about us let's talk about this game so alex i'm going to list off a handful of musicals and it is up to you you will have one minute 60 seconds to match which musical goes with which decade some of them are super obvious some of them are purposely confusing so uh i'm ready when you are alex let me go ahead i will list them off i will give you each musical name you have to put them in order and figure out who is who so are you ready is it clear sorry that's clear as mud so in no particular order your seven musicals are Rent, My Fair Lady, A Chorus Line, Kinky Boots, Kiss Me Kate, Sound of Music, Cats, Thoroughly Modern Millie. All right, Alex, 60 seconds on the clock, starting now. Sound of Music. I'm going to say the 40s, and I think that's wrong as I say that out loud, but that's okay. My Fair Lady, I'm going to say the 50s. Kiss Me Kate, I'm going to say the 60s. A Chorus Line, I'm going to say the 70s. Or Cats, the 70s. Can I give two answers? <laughs> Rent. Shit, okay, no. I'm gonna do Cats for the 80s and I'm gonna do Rent for the 90s. And then, dang it, A Chorus Line. Where does A Chorus Line fall in? I feel like that's the 80s You've got A Chorus well. Line for the record. I said it already? You said a chorus line for the 70s. Okay, great. Sure. May or may not be correct. May or may not be correct. Thirdly Modern Millie, I'm going to go for early 2000s. Kinky Boots, I'm going to go for like 2010. Final answers? Yeah, I think those beginning ones are probably super mixed up. And Kiss Me Kate, I just can't remember if that's like where that's at. But final answers, because I love to be wrong. So final give it answers. to me. <laughs> Alex, it wasn't your best. I'll be honest. We <laughs> tried. And you got five out of seven correct. Yeah. Ooh, that's amazing. That's actually pretty so good. Let's start. Let's start from most recently in the late 2000s, 2010. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the year, but your Tony best musical was Kinky Boots. So congratulations. Moving backwards in time, the early 2000s, you had Thoroughly Modern Millie, which you also guessed correctly. Well done, well done. In the 1990s, you said Rent. However, the answer was Rent. So you got it right. Congratulations. <laughs> Such a I'm good like one. So Can I tell you a right secret? Now. I'm like the very worst performer ever. I've never seen Rent. But I can sing the whole song about the minutes and stuff. So anyways, it's on my to-do list. <laughs> Have you seen the movie? No, I'm so bad. That's okay. Honestly, T-Brad, it's so good. You would love it. And it's like, it's something you shouldn't watch when you're younger. It's something you should watch like when you're in your twenties. Like 100%. it'll it'll rip your heart out. It's so good. Something I should watch right now and just <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And Rosario Dawson is um like in the recent version and she's just great. Like 
I literally have cried multiple minutes. Oh, because they did the live version of Rent too, didn't they? Oh, and they did the live version too. Oh, yeah, wait, no, but so it didn't good. happen. Somebody broke their leg or something or there wait, was some drama. It still happened. Broken legs, still, <laughs> like they still, they used, like, the show must go on. <laughs> yeah. The show must go on. But yeah, you should watch the movie. It's really good. I think it's on Hulu or something. It's so, okay, so deal. awesome. Deal, that's my homework. Okay, so, so far, Kinky Boots, yes. Thoroughly Modern Millie, yes. Rent, yes. 1980s. Of course, what else would it be but, you know, Cats, okay. which, you know, I know has mixed reviews in the theater community, but uh, Alex and I both love Cats, um, so I can't I love you. Cats, and I only love Cats because the first time I saw it, I saw a amateur production from Fullerton, <laughs> California, and it was a disaster. Like, it was so bad. <laughs> and, then, and then when I re-saw another live production, I was like, okay, cool. Those people are actually cats. <laughs> but um and it was good but yeah i do love cats like as the animal they're great that one's fun too because i feel like it hits home for us because like generation or time wise they just what recently a few years ago had their revival on broadway and like i know we both had a handful of friends in the show so it was cool to see them live their like actual cat fantasy and um yeah they actually they just went on tour now that i think about it there was like laura kaufman was in it and yes. uh, i think wes kruko was fun fact i ran into laura and the entire cast uh, at the San Diego airport. So uh, a gentleman that. spilled a cup of orange juice in front of her and I went to go pick it up and I go, Laura? And that's how you run into friends from college. But anyways, <laughs> hi, Laura, if you're listening. So moving right on down, 1970, you guessed it. One singular sensation, every little step. That is a chorus line. So winner, winner, chicken dinner. Um, can I say that if I don't eat chicken anymore? I don't know. Anyways. Oh my God. I like try not, I don't buy it. I don't buy it to cook at home. I'll but eat like you don't like, eat it if it's out. Yeah. I'll eat it out or like if it's going to be a good dish, but I just don't buy meat anymore. Same like, girl. Pescatarian since to. January. Life changing. That's amazing. And good in your wallet. But that's for our nutrition podcast. Lies. Yeah. 1960s. Alex said, kiss me Kate. When the answer was the hills are alive with the sound of music. So for close. real. Okay. I know it's like the further you get away, that's you're like 40, 50, 30s, who, what? So that was a solid guess. Wow. I literally thought for sure sound of music. Okay. Yeah. I'm way off. And that's really embarrassing because I wrote like a huge paper on Julie Andrews. Like I had to write like a 13 page paper on her. So the fact that I'm not aware <laughs> That's okay. When it went to Broadway, that's... that's you want to know a fun fact about Taylor Bradley? My very first role in fourth grade elementary school, Shalliford Falls, uh, drama club was Uncle Max and the Sound of Music. And I remember there was a fast change. Thank you so much. I'm still, I'm still waiting. The award's in the mail. But I'm like, is it on your resume still? 100%. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, one, like there was a fast change that was too fast. And so the scene, this like side stage was set and we were waiting. And literally my line was like, oh, gosh, where are those kids? And like, that's when they were supposed to like come barging in and like good 10 seconds went by and I go, I'm still wondering where are those kids? And the whole, <laughs> like I broke character. I was that, that's when I realized I was like, I'm a comedian. I'm not an ensemble performer. I want it to be about me, but. That is amazing. Sometimes. Uncle Max, uh, what, that was probably like 1999 or something like that. But Wow. Anyway, all right, so we are winding down. 1950s, you said My Fair Lady, and the answer was My Fair Lady. So congratulations, meaning our last 1940s Tony Award winner for Best Musical. You said Sound of Music. It was Kiss Me, Kate. But I mean, hey, five out of seven. I'm bad at math, but that's pretty good. And you flip-flopped things from... 
50, 60 years ago. So awesome job, Alex. Thanks for playing. That was your daily dose of musical theater history. So now on to our main event. I'm very excited to welcome our very first guest here on Booked and Stressed. He is a great friend of mine, an incredible dancer. He's got the shiniest bald head and the Swedish British accent. Please welcome my very good friend, James Simpson. How's it going? Good, good. Yeah, we're doing well. So we're super excited to have you on today. Um, We want to hear all about your fun, fascinating life. Um, James has worked on a handful of shows on the Strip. We actually met performing um, at a show at the Rio called Wow, Las Vegas Spectacular. Um, And since then, he's gone on to perform with Chippendales. He's gone on to perform with the Australian Bee Gees. Um, He has a background of performing for Royal Caribbean on ships. He's an incredible singer as well as a dancer. I don't know why I'm reading your resume. Let me let you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, James. Where are you from? And a brief history of your dancing no this is great if you can actually come to every audition with me and just do that then i would really appreciate it so thank you (laughs) um yeah training said um so yeah so uh, i my training i guess i started with the acting in singing vibe when i was uh a wee young lad um like like six or or seven and then as I got to around 18, 19, um, a mentor of mine and a professional in the industry said to me, if you want, you want to make it kid, but not in the accent. Um, you have to be a triple threat. Um, you know, you got to do all three. You can't just get by on your acting and, and singing. Um, so I found a, a college that was primarily dance based and uh, I got in because of my singing because they had no singers. So I think they just wanted to, use me in showcases, but I was pretty dog shit at dancing at, at the time. Um, got three years of amazing training um, there and then left, uh, yeah, and came out into the big, big wide world as the, the, the industry, as the uh, industry peeps call it. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I was in London for about five years. Um, uh, I, my, my resume from London, or CV as the Brits call it, curriculum vitae, super fancy um is was really really random uh and really kind of like hopping from one genre to another so first job out of college uh i was on tour i would did the um the british leg of 50 cent uk tour so i was one of his backing dancers um which was amazing like unreal and straight from that went into uh, a family Christmas show or the, the pantomime as they call it over there, hopping around with Santa and his elves, um, just as absolutely gangster as my previous job before that. Um, and then onto random kind of um, one day, like music video corporate job things. Uh, oh, I was, I got to be a body double for Johnny Depp once. That's like my little See that name I just dropped right there? That was, yeah. Double for Johnny Depp. Tell us more about that situation. It was... Um, That's incredible. <laughs> it, was, it was very uh, unexpected, and they didn't really tell me until last minute who I was body doubling for, but if, um, it was one of his lesser-known movies, uh, Dark Shadows. It was, um, it's, like a, it's a vampire movie that Tim Burton directed, um, kind of like a comedy element to it, but... Anyway, so he uh, he had three, two like two body doubles. So there was the one guy who looked exactly like him, who would kind of be. He wouldn't do the 
any of his lines, but would just kind of be there in the scene. And then they'd have a far away double who would look kind of like Johnny from pretty far away in a wig and makeup and costume. And that was me. I was pretty far away, Johnny. Um, I don't think that's going to be my next tattoo, but it's a pretty good accomplishment, I feel like. And, and I got to say that Tim, Tim Burton squirted fake blood on my face as well. Like these aren't things that are on my resume, but I was like pretty happy with that. <laughs> I don't know. That would have been a moment, like a mental picture moment. Tim Burton right. squirting blood on my face. Like, I'm such a tattoo. huge fan. Yeah, Tim mm. Burton squirting blood or hashtag Johnny Depp's body double from far away. <laughs> Either way, both of those things are pretty amazing. But now, um, yeah, tell us, you are, are you originally from London or what part of the UK are you from? Uh, so originally from a town called Reading, which is about uh, 45 minutes outside of West London. Um, and then I did my training like in London. So the town I was from was kind of like suburban english kind of we weren't like milking cows in the morning but we weren't like you know catching the tube every morning so that in between phase whatever you want to call it so you had a lot of success while in the uk when and why did you want to move to the states and start working in the states so my uh i kind of had a, the, a transitionary is that a word um phase of uh which was cruise ships so my big dream of being uh, in London on was to be on the West End. And I got myself an agent out of college and he sent me to a bunch of auditions and I got callbacks and stuff, but just never landed it, never got to be on the West End stage. And um, so as, as much as I was doing all these other jobs and I, I was working, it was still wasn't what I wanted to do, like wasn't my initial dream. Um, and also if you're not working full time in, anything in, in London like you get back to this first day of the month and you paid everything off and it's like okay well shall I eat this week or shall I go to dance class like it was it's so expensive in London and it was a struggle and my agent reached out to me and he tried to get me on cruise ships uh, to go to cruise ship auditions before and I kind of turned them down because unlike America where a cruise ship, a cruise ship contract is seen as like a as a great job and something great for your resume for some reason in, in London they almost tell you to like take it off the resume and it's not, it's seen as just another easy job. And I kind of got that mentality too, because I'd never be, been on one. And then I finally got on one and it was just seeing these incredible artists and these amazing people. I was like, how can anybody put this, this job, this career path uh, down at all? So yeah, he, he said that um, Royal Caribbean were auditioning uh, singers and dancers for uh, their production of Chicago. So they just bought the rights from Broadway and they were putting it on the ship. And I was like, absolutely, I would love to do Chicago. Um, auditioned and booked and um, yeah. And I was on the high seas for a couple of years. Uh, and it was during my first contract that I met my now lovely wife, Ariel. Um, she was also performing on the ship uh, as a figure skater. So on our ship, they had the like Broadway-sized theater, but also an ice rink in the middle of the ship. This thing was fucking huge, by the way. Um, it's like a city on water. I'm not sure yeah. if I can curse. I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah, you can curse all you want. Um, <laughs> if I'm wrong, this was on the Allure, right? Yes, Allure of the Seas, yeah. Which is one of the biggest ships in the Royal Caribbean fleet, and you're doing literally Chicago productions on these floating, brand new floating cities. It's just crazy. I feel like we're gonna discuss cruise ships at a later episode, but it's just 
baffles me when people are like, oh, ships. I'm like, yeah, you're making great money eating for free, room and board, traveling the world, doing incredible shows. And so it's funny whenever people, like, people are like, oh, ships. I'm like, yeah, ships. So that's awesome. But anyways, not to interrupt you, you said you met uh, your wife, Arielle, and then? Yeah, no, during this um, paycation, as everybody called it, because like, it, like you said, dream job and nothing to pay for, travel the world. Um, so yeah, we met in the first contract and then uh, we did a couple of other contracts together on the same ship um, and a few apart, but the long distance between each contract was getting a little bit much. So we kind of decided, look, things are getting serious with us now. Are you going to move to London or am I going to move to Las Vegas, weighed out the pros and cons and airplane to Sin City? And here I am. That's amazing. And I honestly was going to ask you why you moved to Vegas. So it worked out perfectly for love. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, so it was, it it honestly has been the best of both worlds because uh, obviously the woman that I'm madly in love with and married is uh, from here. um, And we now have a house together here, but also there's just, you know, this is the city of entertainment. There's just, there's so much work here and not that there wasn't, in London, but it was just, it's definitely more affordable here. You know, you can, uh, so many performers, as you guys know, um, your performing career is a lot longer, has a lot longer lifespan, and it's just also more affordable. And the ideals of having um, a family and and kids and buying a home is so much uh, more realistic here than, you know, in a little studio apartment in New York or London or wherever. Absolutely. And I feel I always tell people like Vegas is such an amazingly manageable city for an artist. Like you can have a life that normally that starving artist thing that people love to say, you have a life that's completely opposite of that. And you're working all the time and meeting a ton of different people and still, you know, working on your craft, especially for you being a triple threat. That's so, that's like, trip again triples the amount of work that you can do because they're always in need of singers dancers actors like it's just it it just increases the amount of things that you're gonna be able to do but yeah vegas for sure is just financially an extremely affordable and manageable city for sure and also with the size too i mean there's a lot of different like areas of it but it still like feels like a very small city and like the community is very very small which makes kind of your day-to-day life a lot easier yeah no absolutely and it definitely um the size of the town and also i mean as you you guys know too like there is a there is a smaller um performing community here um it's not as big as like london or la or new york but like you said it's because we are a smaller town so sometimes that is an advantage when it comes to like less competition but the performing community in this town is one of the reasons that i have stayed like it's it's i love it here everyone's so uh everyone's amazing and uh it's a lot less like cutthroat i remember going to auditions in in london and there'd be hundreds of people and you know people that would really just be willing to just break your ankle next to you so they can get to the front of (laughs) the audition or whatever but now i have guys here who are the same casting type as me being like hey you should come to this you should audition for this giving themselves more competition by inviting me but just the nicest people um 
Taylor is one of those people hits me up about gigs and jobs and yeah, everybody looks out for each other here. So we're, we're a small community, but we are a loving one and I love that. Totally. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, moving right along. Um, so I know you said, uh, you met your wife, Arielle. Uh, my next question was how difficult or how simple was the immigration process in the States? Um, were you guys married? Was it, um, how did that work? Did you move here before you guys got married? Just talk a little bit about that. We honestly probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but we didn't do it, uh, quite the legal way it was supposed to be done. <laughs> so Essentially, when you come into the country, uh, you, you're not allowed to come into the country with the intention to marry. Um, you're supposed to have a, a K-1 visa, which I don't know if you've heard of, the fiancé visa. Um, but there's like a weird loophole that if you come here and while you're here, you just spontaneously decide to get married, then you can, you can stay and there's kind of ways around it. And we got ourselves a lawyer, whatever, whatever, I'm sure. And, hoping the government isn't listening to this, but I'm sure I'm at the bottom of everyone's immigration list right now. Um, With everything was, uh, in the world right now, I don't think you're, you're, a, you're a hot target. No offense, but anyways, continue. No, I know. I wish, I wish Trump was watching me right now, but I guess I'm not that lucky. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, uh, I, I came out here beginning of 2015 um, and I had flights home to make it look like I was going home. And like I said, while I was here, we spontaneously decided to get married. Um, which was the plan all along and got a lawyer and he said just look as long as you file your papers uh, after the 60-day mark of entry into the US then they're not going to flag you you should be good and at that time uh, it was 2015 we still had Obama uh, I miss you uh, as our president and it was uh, the immigration process uh, getting my green card was so much easier and so much faster. I think I put my paperwork in at uh, the end of March and I had the green card mid July. Like it was just, just, it was so quick, so easy. But when it came to, so for anybody that doesn't know with the green cards, you have a two year green card, which is like your probationary period to kind of prove that you are going to work and pay taxes and be a contributing member of society. And then they reevaluate that. And if you pass again, then they give you a 10 year. Um, so when it came to um, getting my 10-year green card, that was when we had the flip and Mr. Trump was uh, in office. And I think I had to have about two and a half, six-month extensions onto my two-year green card because they were so backed up and so slow and everything. Just, I'm not saying that like that administration was the reason it was backed up. I'm just, I have all I had to go for is first time I did it, quick and easy. Second time I did it, took a lot longer. So, but... I got it and now I have my tenure and um, sorry guys, you, you're going to have to live with me for a little bit. Bummer, bummer. No, I'm, that's awesome. And it's so interesting. I know it, it, everybody that moves here from out of the country has such a different story. And so I'm so grateful for you because I've heard friends that have horror stories and it's just, you know, so much money and lawyers. So I'm glad it was a relatively smooth process for you, but cool. I'm super curious for how your visa works, your work visa. So would you mind explaining to me, just like pretend I'm like a five-year-old and I really have no understanding of it and maybe how that works like alongside in tandem with green card, what comes first, how that all worked from transitioning from cruise ships to being more at a home base in Vegas. So would you mind kind of going through that for me? Um, so when you file all of your paperwork, um, 
which is a lot of stuff from your spouse, uh, like about her citizenship and her birth certificate and her tax records and that sort of thing. For me, it was just kind of basic things like birth certificate and um, uh, what else? Uh, I guess like a few uh, old contracts and jobs that I'd worked just to show that I had been making money and maybe some like um, some bank statements, some American bank statements to show that I wasn't entering the country with zero dollars. Like I had some savings from ships and stuff. Um, so yeah, put all that paperwork in uh, March 28th. And then within, I'd say like about a month, a month and a half, I got my um, uh, work authorization card. Um, it has a name for it. I can't remember. It looks Is like it an O one or a P one, or am I totally talking about a different thing? I know that people uh, say like O one is kind of like the best one you can have, and P one's like pretty good too. <laughs> so they are they are both uh, they are both work visas, uh, but they're not um, what's we call it uh, the ones that you attain through marriage. So okay. an O one. And O1 and P1 are both um, work-based visas. Um, so, uh, for instance, like a, a, a lot of um, guys that you probably work with at Cirque, um, I think they get O1s, right? Is that is that what Cirque does? I think they get P1s, and I only okay. I only know this because I've heard I've heard them speak about it, and at meetings they'd be like, "Oh, you guys need to update your P1." And I was uh, like, okay. what's that? I have no idea. Yeah, but, so, um, like over at Lareb, I remember it, who's a mostly foreign cast, would be like P1 visas. So yeah, and then I'm like, what do these letters mean? Is one better than the other? Like, I could be, could be getting this wrong. So I think then a P1 would be that you are sponsored by an American company um, and you are, have the authorization to work, but only for that company. So if like Cirque and Lareb performers, they can only work for Cirque and for Lareb and... Dragon and the O one, I think, is uh, where you have to provide um, to immigration like proof that uh, you are going to come here to work, you have a job, and why the U.S. needs you here. You know, you basically have to prove that you are the best at your, at your craft. But that work visa entitles you to work anywhere, if that makes sense. So O one, you can work anywhere, but you have to prove, and you have to be approved through uh your work history and all that sort of thing and then p1 is hey you're a badass i'm gonna hire you and we'll sort it out awesome okay that's that makes a lot more sense because i've heard stories of i've also heard stories of people you know maybe booking a, a role for a movie or just they're going to be a dancer in a movie and they only have the p1 and they will get they won't get the job they'll get turned away because they don't have the o1 because technically that movie can't they're not technically an american company that can be like oh we'll just pay for your pay for your visa it's like you have to come already with right. that to the table okay this is super this is it, i love like listening to you talk about it because it makes a lot more sense hearing it from someone who's obviously no for sure and, and i did like for, for mine like i said it was uh mine is is like different but similar and that doesn't make sense um it, in, in a sense of they're all so I, I guess mine would be similar to an O one, as in uh, when I got my work author, authorization card, um, I'm able to work anywhere in the United States now. So I think that's what the O one is. And then, like you said, yeah, P P one is probably more specific to that company that wants to 
I, yeah. Honestly, so informative as the American that's been <laughs> working with foreigners for five years now. I'm like, oh, that's what it means. So yeah. cool. awesome. Well, thanks for, <laughs> you're like for the five-year-old. And I'm like, what about the 28-year-old? Because I'm learning, but. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone, anyone that has an O one, I like, hands up to you. I, I feel like that's the hardest one because I'm not saying that a, a, a P1 isn't hard by any means. You guys have to be talented as fucks for a company like Cirque or Dragon to be like, we're going to pay for you to move to this country and be this. But for the O1 people to come into this country and be like, okay, I can't work, but now I have to prove and spend close to $10,000 uh, to get this visa and prove to the American immigration people that I am amazing and that they need me here. Because if, if you come in and just be like, oh, I'm just a dancer, they'll be like, we have plenty of those denied. You have to prove that you are the best of what you do and that the States need you here. I am awesome and you need me in your country. <laughs> I love that. Pretty I'm, much. I'm not even foreign and I still feel like sometimes I do that, like at auditions and whatnot, but. <laughs> So James, what is the biggest difference between dancing here in the States versus dancing back in London or dancing on ships? Um, biggest difference. Uh, I think if we're talking specifically Vegas, um, which actually I am talking specifically Vegas cause I haven't danced anywhere else um, in the, in, in the States. It's that uh, it's going back to my point of this uh, amazing community here. So like, like I said, the Vegas community is, is great. Um, I haven't, I've done like a, like two gigs maybe in LA, but I didn't really get to experience the LA performing scene or anything like that. Just done a couple of classes. So I can only really speak for performing life in Vegas. And like I said, it's, it's great. It's everyone's so supportive. Everyone's lovely. I had that system in London, but there's also thousands more hungry, hungry performers who, uh, rightly so, um, uh, are not here to be your friends. They're not here to, uh, you know, and that's, that's understandable. And like some people can get through the, their, their careers there with being, uh, having more of a friendly persona in auditions in the performing world. But I found that there was a lot of people who were just, even on jobs, like I, I get it in an, audition scene but even sometimes on jobs there was a lot more very just stern eyes on the prize people who weren't always the nicest and um yeah it's you know we do this because we love it and it should be fun you know that whole that cliche uh um quote of like never if you love what you do never work a day in your life or something like that I probably butchered it but that's what it should be like. And sometimes it didn't always feel like that when you were on a job, if you were the new person on the job and there was someone who you looked up to who wouldn't give you the time of day, which sometimes happened in London, not all the time. Uh, please don't have a bad image of London. I'm, I'm going to slap my legs so much. Um, it's, uh, I don't want to paint a bad picture by any means. I love my time there. I've just, yeah, Vegas has been great. That's so funny because, um, sorry, you're going to hear my dog squeak toy in the background. Um, <laughs> who says hi, by the way. But uh, it's so funny because outside of a dance culture, I feel like Americans have this 
opposite viewpoint of like, we're so needy and selfish and all about us. So it's really interesting to hear you say like, you guys are welcoming, supportive and inviting, um, which I totally agree about the whole Vegas culture thing. I love Vegas, but yeah, that's really interesting. I thought you're going to be like, you guys are too loud or like <laughs> you don't stretch enough. I don't know, but anyway, cool. Awesome. Well, let's take a quick break and we will get right back to this. So James, thank you, Alex, and let's stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. We are here with James, and we're so excited to continue talking to you. I want to know, what are your stereotypes that you have about Americans that maybe dancers and non-dancers, like something that, a stereotype that we may not be aware of? I don't, there's not really any kind of, I mean, as far as what English people have for stereotypes of um, American performers, it's more uh what gets like televised so like over in the U uk they have dance moms on tv and um uh you know so you think you can dance the american uh version is played over there as as well so it's it's definitely a stereotype that um the american performer is very like peppy and um uplifting and a mix between a, a cheerleader and miss america pageant you know kind of um uh every everything is everything comes from the heart and the love and the which is all stuff that like english people do feel as well we're just too cold to fucking admit it and we're like uh yeah i'm doing it because it's great and i worked hard blah 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 whereas i feel like americans are just sort of like let me talk about peace and love whilst I'm talking about dancing and the rest. So, so yeah. It's, Are you taking a piss? A hundred percent taking the piss. So I guess the short version of that is um, uh, that British people maybe see American performers as um, uh, a little bit, a little bit cheesy. Let's put it that way. But um now that I've come here and worked with you guys, I can say that um, it's 100% correct. You guys actually spoke. I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's just, I, I think you, uh, you're just able to express yourself um, more than just through whatever your craft is. So there's a lot of very talented dancers in England, but a lot of them, that's where the buck stops, you know, whereas you come to America and you can, I can, I've met so many amazing American dancers who can really express themselves through other forms and talk to me about um, why they love what they do and their journey. And yeah, you guys are, you guys are storytellers for sure. Storytellers is a great word to say for Americans. That is so interesting. First of all, that you're like, you guys love to dance about peace and love. Mind you, that was the show Alex and I worked on, which she was up for five years, which we literally said, peace and love. For what? Did I drop that in there? I didn't realize I did that. Oh, my God. oh that's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, in response to what you're saying, that sounds so much more positive than what I thought you were going to say. Like it's, and I feel like that maybe speaks volumes as to like the American self-identity crisis of like, I would be so again peace and love i want to be like i'm sorry i'm loud and i'm probably too much and i'm all this but then again that's kind of what you're saying is we're just emotional and we're extroverted with our emotions which i guess can be a good thing yeah i'll take cheesy any day i'm i'm happy to be called cheesy i'll totally totally accept that and i feel like that's also the american way we tend to be like 
a little bit egotistical where we're like, what does everybody think of us? Like they just think <laughs> like we are so crazy and you know, that's just how it is. But yeah, I'm all for like being storytellers and cheesy, you know, I can't argue with that. And I've definitely, it's definitely helped me out as well because I, my, my mindset in auditions now compared to what I had in London was very much, um, in London, it was like what I was doing. So what my body was doing, what my voice was doing and like technique, technique, whatever, whatever. And coming to America, you guys perform, uh, a lot more. I mean, just in your day to day lives, your performers getting drive through is a, is an experience, but like, uh, it's just, can yeah, I, I get a venti cold brew <laughs> extra cold foam on top? I'm also looking for voice lessons. If anybody in the Vegas area is listening. <laughs> 100%. Like it's, so I, I feel that I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I was a bad performer before, but auditioning and working in America has definitely given me a lot more confidence, um, in my performing, um, and not so much like focusing on technique and everything else that I trained for for years. Like that's obviously there, but there's a lot more that's been brought out of me um, that I feel just good about and not that I like, okay, now I'm in the audition. Now I bring it out. It's like, no, I can just really just get out and do it whenever and break into song and dance in any restaurant. That I'm in, you know? Yeah. Totally. That's awesome. Yay. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, my next question for you is uh, how do you, I mean, especially through COVID times, but like just in general, like Alex and I are both very familiar with Vegas life, 10 shows a week. Uh, I, you know, like you have swung way too many shows at the same time. And so it can be stressful and it can be basically so absorbing of all you do is like, what are my shows? What am I doing today? Which track am I doing? My question is how do you stay inspired? Like as a performer, as an artist, as a singer, what keeps you going and ignites that flame to continue developing your craft? Um, so one great thing about Vegas that um, keeps me inspired that isn't as easy in, in other cities is that like, um, as you guys know, um, and many other performers in, in, in town, it's pretty easy to like, uh, for us to get tickets for each other's uh, shows and to have like hookups for different gigs and events and things here and there. So to go and see live entertainment is a lot more accessible financially than it is in uh, other places. So I feel that, um, you know, before crazy COVID, um, seeing a show a week was not an outrageous thing. You know, someone would call up and your friend Taylor would text and be like, hey, we randomly got comps for love tonight. Want to come? And it'd just be like, I'm just eating dinner, watching Netflix. So yeah, let's, let's go. Um, so the fact that I get to see my friends perform and other people perform on a regular basis is definitely keep me inspired because, um, you know, you see so much amazing talent, but sometimes these are the shows that you want to be in as well. So it's just a reminder that like, Hey, you, you, you want to be on that stage too. Now you're seeing it again, like here's a little kick, here's a little kick in the ass for that. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, cool. Let's get on Millennium. Which class am I doing today? Um, I'm going to rehearse these songs for my repertoire. And so, yeah, for me, uh, I feel a lot more inspired being in Vegas because I have the opportunity to see a lot more um, shows and talented friends. So thank you, friends. and Thank you, Vegas. Totally. It's that big city, small town vibes of kind of going back to what you're saying is 
I know I've definitely, anytime that we get free tickets, I'm like, I want to go to my friends first. And so um, <laughs> you're welcome is what I'm saying. No, I'm just kidding. Um, James and I go back four or five years ago. So yeah, you would have to <laughs> on my list. Um, cool. Awesome. Yeah. I think definitely just exposing yourself and <laughs> that sounded terrible. I think definitely <laughs> continuing to, um, I think definitely going to see shows is such a fundamental element to staying inspired and kind of getting out of your pigeonhole of your normal day-to-day -day work life. So awesome. Thanks. Yep. It seems like you've had a pretty smooth performing career. And I know there's probably ups and downs within all of that, that I do not know about, but when you speak so eloquently about, about it, like it seems like it's just been really, really fruitful for you and you're always looking for the next thing and always experiencing many different things, working many different types of jobs. But if you can, what would you tell like your younger performer self to kind of reflect on your path and how you got here? And if you, I guess, could change anything, what would you change? And what, what kind of conversations would you have with your younger self? Um, I think I would, one of the biggest things I would want to tell my younger self, um, <laughs> just to give myself even like more variety is, um, uh, I wish I would have stuck with some kind of musical instrument, whether it been like a, cause I, I learned piano as a young lad. Um, and, uh, uh, only up to like grade three or four, so I can kind of like basic and stuff. But then I like stopped, um, and I wish I would have carried on because there's there's been sometimes uh, sometimes there's been some gigs where um, there's been a musical element to it where I was like, oh, if only I would have carried on with this, I could have done this too. And I feel like um, it would have opened me up to more uh, performing opportunities if I was a musician as well. So I think. Uh, I would have said to my younger self, like, get back on that piano, keep going with that. And then, uh, yeah, and maybe we could, I, I could have added some more things to my resume here in Vegas because we have a lot of musician friends here in town who just like, uh, you know, like someone like Taylor has done, hopping from shows to gig and whatever, whatever, musicians can do that too, you know. Um, in all, all of the same kind of shows, you know, there's a ton of musicians in the Cirque shows, in some of the more production shows. So yeah, I would have loved to have had more of a, a musician's career added to it. You said that and I was like, damn, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would have been neat or like, I don't know, playing anything, but no. Yeah, cause I really would love to read music cause I, I would love to compose music. Uh, and my music reading knowledge is very, very, novice like if that like I probably wouldn't be able to like take a test right now but yeah that is a bummer I really wish I like knew how to master at least like one instrument just for the sake of having a different um compartmentalization like away from dance a bit okay cool I'm just gonna focus on my I don't know flute I don't clarinet I love spongebob maybe I would be a clarinet player oh, I don't know horn. that's all I'm gonna focus <laughs> on this week Please welcome Alexandra, the flautist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that word, flautist. Um, but yeah, no, especially as you, you do a lot of like, uh, you know, creation stuff too, like your choreography is so great. So I, I can see what you mean well, as if so like much. having that musical side to it as well, combining those would just be like, look at this flower bloom, like, you know. 
and it's hard to I like when I listen to music like sometimes I just get angry because I'm like why didn't I come up with that <laughs> like, and we all have those things in our life that we feel you know 150 percent through our body and I feel like music for me I, I it changes my it changes my mind all the time. It changes my mood all the time. I think it's like that for everybody. So to be able to create that would have been obviously like, it's never too late. Hans Zimmer, I think is in his sixties and he's probably had a 20 year career. And so, yeah, it's never too late. You can always, you can always get back onto that instrument, but you also are a singer. So you've been working on that instrument as well, which this one, this little one here, but but no, no, I, I totally get it. And yeah, I, there's no I could have gone back to it I, I could have even done it during this COVID time like hop back on the keys and stuff and there's always uh you know there's always that kind of battle of like do I do I take time to add this or do I keep pushing what I've got here and I don't think either one is wrong um like you said just the fact of asking that that question there's always going to be what ifs and there's always going to be what what could you change and you know even if I would have done the piano then it's like damn I should have learned the washboard or I don't know, whatever, that's a weird instrument, but um, so yeah, I'm just agreeing basically. <laughs> I love that. All right, James, I have uh, one more question and then one final little fun game I want to play with you. So um, let's go. All together in your, as Alex was just saying, your very long and successful resume of, um, of work everywhere across the world on ships what is your number one audition tip that you would give to uh, young dancers that maybe are just starting to audition that haven't really found their voice or who they are? What's the number one thing that you would say, like, this is definitely my advice to you? Audition tip. Um, This is so cliche and every casting director says it at the beginning of every audition and all you want to do is tell them to fuck off because you're trying to get a job. But seriously, just like have fun. Try not to treat it as an audition because the more pressure that you put on yourself, the more that really reads on you. And you, 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 you look stressed and you, you come across as very like uptight. But I'm that, I'm, I'm that person where I'll kind of be in the middle of the room and like maybe having a little joke with the person to the left or right of me, not the most professional way to be in an audition, but that just helps me uh, feel more comfortable and can have a laugh. And then the more comfortable you become with it, the better you are because everybody performs their best when they're feeling their best. So yeah, just try. It's hard to say, try not to treat it as an audition because that's stupid. We're all there. We all want to book. We're all thirsty. We're all hungry for these jobs. But as much as you can, really try and turn it into like a fun experience that you're doing with your friends because that reads. And I've been on the other side of the table a couple of times, not too many, but I have definitely seen. uh, And it kind of shows what, uh, what kind of person you are as well for a casting director who doesn't know you um if they see you just having a good time and uh getting on well with other other people and creating a fun environment then it also shows them like actually this person could be fun to work with as well because you know some people are talented as shit but then doesn't mean they're always the nicest people to work with um so it doesn't mean bring a comedy sketch and like start performing in the middle of audition 
Oh, but the worst when you're like, okay, girl, you're a little bit too comfortable yeah. in a professional setting. So uh, tighten it up. <laughs> Just find that middle ground. And um, uh, actually, the audition that we did for uh, um, Alex, that you were choreographing for the, um, I completely forgot the name of the show. Taylor, help me out. Fun fact Alex is choreographing a new show coming to the Las Vegas Strip. That one in particular, I think it was one of the most recent auditions I did, but um, uh, you helped bring that out as well because you were like kind of cracking jokes and making fun and then there was one part of it where there was a little kind of country cowboy and that was kind of like a funny thing to me so I really like dug into that and found ways to have fun with it and find some comedy elements to it so like a props to you and b that I found a little thing in my audition process that I I could use so uh yeah have fun with it Thank you so much for saying that. First of all, that was so nice of you. And also I do sometimes go overboard and t- when I have the floor, I'm like, okay, let me test out my comedy uh, material, <laughs> which I shouldn't do. But sometimes like it lightens the mood in an audition. Cause even though like I, you know, was friendly with all the people who were there, like you still want people to feel like calm, even though they're like still pulling up and still, you know, looking a certain way. Um, so thank you so much for saying that. And honestly, James, your advice is such good advice. I feel like we always skip over um, like having a good time and like making sure you're fun to work with. Like they're literally looking into their future of spending a certain amount of hours with these people. So that it like means so much before you even start singing, before you even start dancing. So thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. Audition sure, episode coming up soon. And yes, the second you walk in that room to sign your registration, that's when your audition starts. So just to be cliche, since we are having you on as our guest discussing foreign issues, dare I say, stay calm and be yourself. And that was the worst British accent you will hear from me. <laughs> I'm, a li- I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little bit turned on, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you say tender, tender? I don't know. Did I offend you? Anyway. I don't know. Right. James, you have been such an awesome guest. Thank you so much for your insight, your knowledge, um, your sexy accent. Like, honestly, we are so thrilled to have you on this podcast, especially um, so early in our season. So thank you for paving the way and setting the bar really high for anybody else that comes in now. But before we go, <laughs> James, real quick, spitfire. You have to make an acrostic poem, adjectives describing yourself starting with each letter of your name. So don't overthink it. J, what's J? Uh, jovial. A. Uh, asshole. <laughs> jovial asshole. We're off to a great start. M. Uh, mothering. Interesting, but I'm here for it. <laughs> a mothering jovial asshole. <laughs> e. E. Uh, uh, Ecstasy. Okay, I'm here for it. You're it's picking that. all the good words. All yeah, the good words. Hi, it's that. It's that. We want to be around you. Lastly, round it out with S. I hope I spelled your name right. Uh, S. Just a shithead. Like just a shithead. We got asshole and shithead both in the same. Yeah. In the same poem. I love it. I would buy it. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much, um, James. Honestly, you are such a delight to have. Stressors, if you want to find the face behind this beautiful man, you can find him on Instagram. His Instagram is James Simo. That is at symbol J-A-M-E-S-S-I-M-O. Is it bad? I wanted to be like 
I even forget what you said for Jay, but like jubilant, asshole, mothering, as I spelled it out. <laughs> One more time, that is James Simo, at symbol J-A-M-E-S-S-I-M-O, and we will post his Instagram handle below. But, well, James, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate you. We love you. Have a great rest of your evening. Stressors, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Like I said, uh, be sure to check the description below. We'll be posting both our call to action for the Trevor Project as well as our sexy British man's uh, Instagram below. But on behalf of Alex and I and our lovely guest, James, this is Taylor and we are signing off. Have a beautiful rest of your day and we will catch you on the next episode. <laughs>